Shalom, and I'd like to welcome everybody to the Hebraic Heritage Ministries Yeshiva Discipleship Program. This session will be our second session on the subject of the Sabbath. We are entitling this session, Celebrating the Sabbath. The Sabbath is a festival of the God of Israel. In Leviticus chapter 23, in verses 2 and 3, it is written, Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, Concerning the feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, even these are my feasts. And in speaking about the feasts of the Lord, the first feast that is mentioned in Leviticus chapter 23 is the weekly Sabbath. The Sabbath is a feast of the God of Israel. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work therein. It is the Sabbath of the Lord in all your dwellings. The Sabbath is a moed. It is the Strong's number 4150, which means an appointed time. The Sabbath is an appointed time of the God of Israel. So in Leviticus chapter 23, verse 2, it says, Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, Concerning the feasts, or the moed, the appointed times of Yahweh. So the Sabbath is an appointed time of Yahweh where we are to celebrate this event. Yeshua kept the Sabbath. In Luke chapter 4, verses 14 through 16, and in verse 31, it is written, And Yeshua taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read, and came down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and taught them on the Sabbath days. The early believers in Yeshua in the first century kept the biblical Sabbath. In Acts chapter 13, verses 13 through 15 and verse 42, it is written, Now when Paul and his company loosed from Paphos, they came to Perga in Pamphylia. And when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch in Pisidia and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. After the reading of the Torah and the prophets, which is the custom of a traditional Sabbath service, the rulers of the synagogue sent unto them, saying, You men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. And when the Jews were gone out of the synagogue, the Gentiles besought that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. See, the Gentiles are in the synagogue keeping the Sabbath. So they are saying, we want to hear more of this teaching when we come together the next Sabbath. Acts chapter 13, verse 44, and Acts chapter 14, verse 1 we can see once again that the early believers in Yeshua in the first century kept the biblical Sabbath. And the next Sabbath day came almost the whole city together to hear the word of God. Acts chapter 14, verse 1, It came to pass in Iconium that they went both together into the synagogue of the Jews and so spake that a great multitude, both of the Jews and also of the Greeks, believed. 
so how were they believing? Because they're hearing the word of God proclaimed on the Sabbath in the synagogue, both Jews and non-Jews. Acts chapter 17, verses 1 through 4, we can see this as well as it is written. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as his manner was, in other words, he did it on a regular basis, as his custom was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scripture. In other words, three weeks. Opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Yeshua, whom I preach unto you, is Messiah. And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas, and of the devout Greeks a great multitude, and of the chief women not a few. We can see this in Acts chapter 15, verse 19 and verse 21. And it says, Wherefore my sentence is, and this is where the brethren came together in Jerusalem. It says, Wherefore my sentence is that we trouble not them which from among the Gentiles are turned to God. If you look up that word in the Greek, it actually says returned to God. So it says in the context of the Gentiles returning to God, it says, For Moses of old time has in every city them that preach him being read in the synagogues every Sabbath day. Acts chapter 18, verse 1, verse 4, and verse 11, it is written, After these things Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth, and he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. He persuaded the Jews and the Greeks where? In the synagogue on the Sabbath. And he continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. When? In the synagogue, on the Sabbath, both Jews and non-Jews. So we see in, in all the travels of Paul, there are Jews and non-Jews who's keeping the Sabbath in the synagogues. Acts chapter 19, verse 1, verse 8, and verse 10. It came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus. And he went into the synagogue and spake boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. And this continued by the space of two years, so that all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Yeshua, both Jews and Greeks. Once again, where are the Jews and the Greeks? That's hearing the word of God in the synagogue. When are they hearing it? On the Sabbath. Now let's look at the article on the Sabbath from the Wikipedia Encyclopedia. In both Judaism and Christianity, the Sabbath, the Hebrew term is Shabbat, is a religious day of rest that occurs on the seventh day of the week, that being Saturday. The first Christians were Jews and proselytes. Proselytes are non-Jews that embrace faith in the God of Israel. And it is assumed without much controversy, and there is some biblical evidence that they honored the Sabbath from Friday sunset to Saturday sunset. And we just read that out of the book of Acts. This would have continued at least until the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed in the year 70. There is evidence that some non-Jewish believers 
also continued to celebrate the biblical Sabbath many centuries into what is called the Christian era. Continuing on, the apostolic constitutions generally dated in the 4th century and found in the Ante Nicene Fathers, that is the writings before the Council of Nicaea, their collections say the Sabbath should be observed by resting and studying the Torah. It is known that non-Jewish believers in Yeshua sometimes openly observe the Seventh-day Sabbath in conjunction with first-day Sunday worship because the Council of Laodicea around the year 365 attempted to put a stop to the practice of celebrating the Sabbath by believers in Yeshua. Some conjuncture then that prior to the Laodicean Council, Saturday was observed as a Sabbath and Sunday as a day of worship, primarily in Palestine, but after the Laodicean Council, Saturday observance was forbidden. This is often considered an attempt of the early Christian church to distance itself from Judaism. Now let's look at Daniel in chapter 7 and the vision which Daniel received there. And his vision is about world empires up through and until the second coming of Yeshua where he's going to set up the Messianic kingdom. Daniel chapter 7 verses 1 through 3 says, In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head upon his bed. Then he wrote the dream and told the sum of the matters. Daniel spake and said, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of the heavens strove upon the great sea. And four great beasts came up from the sea, diverse one from another. Daniel chapter 7, verse 7 and verse 15, it is written, After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible and strong exceedingly, and it had great iron teeth. It devoured and brake in pieces and stamped the residue with the feet of it, and it was diverse from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I, Daniel, was grieved in my spirit in the midst of my body, and the visions of my head troubled me. Daniel chapter 7, verses 16 and 17 and verse 23, it is written, I came near unto one of them that stood by and asked him the truth of all this. So he told me, and he made me know the interpretation of the things. These great beasts which are four are four kings which shall arise out of the earth. Thus he said, The fourth beast shall be the fourth king upon earth, which shall be diverse from all kingdoms, and shall devour the whole earth, and shall tread it down and break it in pieces. The first beast was Babylon, the second Medo-Persia, the third Greece, and this fourth beast, which we are reading about, is going to be the Roman Empire. Then in Daniel chapter 7, verses 24 and 25, it is written, And the ten horns out of this kingdom are ten kings, that shall arise, and another shall arise after them, and he shall be diverse from the first, and he shall subdue three kings. And what is said regarding the fourth beast about the Roman Empire, Daniel chapter 7, verse 25, and this is the significant thing that we want to point out regarding our Sabbath teaching. He shall speak great words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High. And this is what the fourth beast does. He thinks to change times and laws. Now, it was through the influence 
of the Roman Empire where the celebration by believers in Yeshua of the weekly Sabbath and the annual festivals ultimately got altered. And this happened through the influence of Constantine. Who was Constantine? Constantine, who lived from February the 27th, 272, to May the 22nd of 337, commonly known as Constantine I or Constantine the Great, was proclaimed Augustus by his troops on July the 25th in the year 306, and he ruled an ever-growing portion of the Roman Empire to his death. By taking the personal step of convoking the Council of Nicaea in 325, Constantine began the Roman Empire's unofficial sponsoring and recognition of Christianity as a state religion of Rome, which was a major factor in Christianity's spread. His reputation as the first Christian emperor was promulgated by Lactanius in Eusebius of Caesarea, gaining ground in the succeeding generations. Constantine in the year 321 declared that Sunday was to be a day of rest. And this comes from the Wikipedia Encyclopedia. It says, let all judges and all city people and all tradesmen rest upon the venereal day of the sun. Because Sunday is the day of sun worship. But let those dwelling in the country freely and with full liberty attend to the culture of their fields, since it frequently happens that no other day is so fit for the sowing of grain or the planting of vines. Hence, the favorable time should not be allowed to pass, lest the provision of heaven be lost. This was given the 7th of March in the year 321. The Roman Empire followed sun worship. And once again, from the Wikipedia Encyclopedia. Although this, which Constantine declared to be done in 321, that Sunday was a time of rest, that that in itself did not constitute a change of the Sabbath, it did favor a different day of rest from the biblical weekly Sabbath. The dominant religions in the region of the world where Christianity was developing in the Roman Empire were pagan, and in Rome, Mithraism, which is the worship of the sun, had taken hold. And Mithraism met on Sunday. In the ruling of the Council of Laodicea in 365, they made a decree that believers in Yeshua are not to celebrate the biblical Sabbath. The 59 decrees of the Council of Laodicea in 365 are part of the Nicene and post-Nicene Fathers' collections. The 29th decree of the Council of Laodicea said, Christians must not Judaize by resting on the Sabbath but must work that day, and then if possible, rest on the Lord's Day, which they say is Sunday, and any found to be Judaizers are not consistent with following Christ. So they began to call keeping the biblical Sabbath, that if you did what God commanded through Moses, they began to call that Judaizing. And guess what? We still call that today. And that comes from the Council of Laodicea. Now, from the Wikipedia Encyclopedia, in the 5th century, 
Socrates Scholasticus Church History, Book 5 states, Nor is there less variation in regard to religious assemblies. For although almost all churches throughout the world celebrate the sacred mysteries on the Sabbath of every week, yet the Christians of Alexandria and at Rome, on account of some ancient tradition, what's the ancient tradition? It was the ruling of the Council of Laodicea, they ceased to celebrate the Sabbath. So the celebration of Sabbath was going on outside of Rome, but in Rome and in Alexandria, they quit celebrating the weekly biblical Sabbath. And also in the 5th century, Sozomen Church History, Book 7 states, assemblies are not held in all churches on the same time or manner. In other words, some was celebrating the Sabbath, some was meeting on Sunday. The people of Constantinople and almost everywhere assemble together on the Sabbath. Constantinople is the eastern part of the Roman Empire, as well as the first day of the week, which custom is never observed at Rome or at Alexandria. So from the influence of the Council of Nicaea in Rome and Alexandria, they quit celebrating the weekly Sabbath, but it was still done elsewhere, even in the 5th century, which is over 100 years after the original ruling of the Council of Laodicea. Now, in the Wikipedia Encyclopedia, regarding how Christianity in general regards the Sabbath, this is what is written there. Eastern Orthodox churches distinguish between the Sabbath, which they acknowledge as being Saturday, in the Lord's Day, which they call Sunday. So that is saying today, Eastern Orthodox churches would say that Saturday is the Sabbath, but they say, but Sunday is the Lord's Day, so that's why they meet on Sunday. But they still acknowledge that the Saturday is the Sabbath. Whereas Catholics, in contrast, because of the Roman influence, put little emphasis on the distinction between the Sabbath and the Lord's Day. And most of them, at least in colloquial language, speak of Sunday as the Sabbath. And this comes from the Catechism of the Holy Catholic Church on the article of the Sabbath. Many Protestants have historically regarded the Lord's Day, that means they say the Lord's Day, Saturday and Sunday, are synonymous terms for the Christian day of worship except in those languages in which the name of the seventh day is literally equivalent to the Sabbath. For example, Spanish, the way you say Saturday is Sabado, and Sabado means Sabbath. So in their language, Saturday literally means Sabbath, the same as in Italian, Russian, modern Greek, and in Hebrew. In these languages, the name given for Saturday is Sabbath. Catholicism, in their writings acknowledge that they changed the Sabbath. From the Wikipedia Encyclopedia, it is written, The Roman Catholic Church teaches that the early church met on Sunday according to its own authority, that's the authority of the Roman Catholic Church, and not on the basis of any scriptural mandate to do so. Canaan's doctrinal catechism, a Catholic catechism, declares that there is no scriptural basis for first day observance. And in the catechism, this question is given. Have you any other way of proving that the Catholic Church has power to institute its own observances, its own festivals, of which Sunday would be its own festival? 
the answer that is given in the Catechism. Had she not power, she could not have instituted one in which all modern religionists agree with her, that is, Christianity in general. She could not have substituted the observance of Sunday, the first day of the week, for the observance of Saturday, the seventh day of the week, a change that the Catholic Church made for which there is no scriptural authority, and they even say that there is no scriptural authority to do that. Continuing on from the Wikipedia Encyclopedia, other Roman Catholic sources can be cited to show that according to the Catholic Church, there is no scriptural basis for neglecting Saturday observance. So, from the Catholic Virginian on October the 3rd, 1947, it states, Nowhere in the Bible do we find that Jesus or the apostles ordered that the Sabbath be changed from Saturday to Sunday. We have the commandment of God given to Moses to keep holy the Sabbath day, that is the seventh day of the week, Saturday. Today, most Christians keep Sunday because it has been revealed to us by the Catholic Church outside of the biblical mandate to do so. Now let's look at the changing of the Sabbath in the New Testament or the influence of the Roman Catholic Church and Sunday worship had in the translation of our New Testament scriptures. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 1, it says, In the end of the Sabbath, and the word Sabbath there is the Strong's number 4521, the Greek word is sabaton, at the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the tomb of Yeshua. So here, in this verse, the Greek word sabbaton is translated as Sabbath to begin the verse, but where you see the phrase first day of the week, the word week there is the same word sabbaton, which was translated earlier in the verse as Sabbath, but here they translated it as week. Same word. Now you see the phrase first day of the week? The word day is in italics, which means it's not in the Greek text. So what's in the text is the first of the week, which the word week is the, the Greek word for Sabbath. So it actually says the first of the Sabbath, or the beginning of the Sabbath. In Mark chapter 16, verse 2, it says, Very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came to the tomb at the rising of the sun. You will find eight occurrences in the New Testament of this phrase, first day of the week. And we're going to look at all eight occurrences. And the occurrences are describing the resurrection of Yeshua. And twice in the epistles, it's going to describe when they were meeting and gathering together. So when you look at the phrase first day of the week, the word first is the Strong's number 3391. And it's the Greek word mia. And mia is translated 62 times in the New Testament as one. It's only translated eight times as first. These eight times are these eight verses that speak about the resurrection and the gathering together. So the word mia really means only one. So it should be translated very early in the morning, the one of the Sabbath. Or if you look after the resurrection of Yeshua, what happens on the Torah calendar is you start beginning seven weeks counting to Shavuot. So this, I believe, is describing that the first week of that counting, one of the weeks of the counting, the first week of the counting. Mark chapter 16, verse 9. Now when Yeshua was risen early, the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven devils. Once again, 
the phrase first day of the week, day is in italics. The word week is the Strong's number 4521. The Greek word sabaton, which means Sabbath. So this can be translated as the beginning of the Sabbath or the first of the seven weeks of the counting to the Feast of Shavuot. The next occurrence is Luke chapter 24, verse 1. Now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came unto the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared and certain others with them. The word first here is mia, day is in italics. The word week should be translated as Sabbath. John chapter 20, verse 1. We have it again. The phrase first day of the week, the word first is mia, day is in italics. Week is the Strong's number 4521, Shabbaton and should be translated as Sabbath. Came Mary Magdalene early when it was yet dark under the tomb and seized the stone taken away from the tomb. John chapter 20, verse 19. Then the same day at evening being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Yeshua and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be unto you. First day of the week, days in italics, the word first is Mia, the word week is Sabaton, which is Sabbath. So we see from these verses that is describing the resurrection, from the influence of Sunday worship, we see how the translation was rendered first day of the week rather than the beginning of the Sabbath or the first of the seven weeks of the counting to the Feast of Shavuot. Acts chapter 20, verse 7, and we need to ask the question, is this first saying that Sunday is the Sabbath? And it says, upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. So, once again, the phrase first day of the week, the word first is Mia, the word week is Sabaton, the day is in italics. And notice what they're doing. They're coming together to break bread. If anyone has ever celebrated the Sabbath, what is standard when you come together to celebrate Sabbath is those who assemble, they break bread. They partake of the cup and they partake of the bread and the fellowship is called Oneg. So this is what they were doing there. They were not meeting on Sunday. Now 1 Corinthians chapter 16 verse 2, which is another verse which is used from the epistles as justification that Sunday is the Sabbath and it was changed. It says, upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store as God has prospered him that there be no gatherings when I come. There you have the phrase, first day of the week, days in italics, first is Mia, and week is Sabaton. So, once again, this says one of the Sabbaths. So, those are the only two verses in the epistles that is used as biblical justification for celebrating the Sabbath as being on Sunday. And if you look at the Greek text, it doesn't say it's Sunday. It says that it's actually Saturday. We need to realize that Yeshua kept the Sabbath, as we're told in Luke chapter 4, verse 16, when he was in Nazareth. And we're told that when he was in the Galilee in Capernaum, that he taught in the synagogues on the Sabbath days. Yeshua is the Lord of the Sabbath. Mark chapter 2, verses 27 and 28. He said unto them, The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. And in order to help you to remember to observe the Sabbath day, there are suggested readings here 
where we are told as people of the God of Israel to remember to observe the Sabbath day. Among those readings are Exodus chapter 20 verses 8 through 11, Deuteronomy chapter 5 verses 12 through 15, Isaiah 58 verses 12 and 13, and Exodus chapter 31 verses 12 through 17. Then it is customary on the Sabbath for the husbands to give their wives a blessing and the wives to give a corresponding blessing back to their husbands. The blessing that the husbands give to their wives is based upon Proverbs chapter 31 verses 10 through 31 where it describes a virtuous woman. This can be summarized in this way. A good wife who can find. She is more precious than jewels. Her husband places his trust in her and only profits thereby. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. Grace is elusive and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the God of Israel, she shall be praised. Give her credit for the fruit of her labors and let her achievements praise her at the gate. The blessing that the wives give back to their husbands, the two most common scriptural blessings are from Psalm chapter 1 verses 1 through 3 and Psalm 112. Then we have blessings that we give to our sons and our daughters. The blessing of our sons is, Yesimha Elohim ke Ephraim veki Manasseh. May God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. And the blessing of our daughters is, Yesimek Elohim ke Sarah Rivka Rakel Leah. May God make you like Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, and Leah. Then we have the Barhu, which is the call to worship. This is responsive interaction where the leader would say, Baruch at Yahweh Humbarak, and the response by the congregation would be, Baruch at Yahweh Humbarak Le'olam Ed, which in English is, Bless Yahweh, the Blessed One. The response is, Blessed is Yahweh, the Blessed One, forever and ever. Why do the scriptures encourage believers in the God of Israel to face Jerusalem when we pray? It comes from Solomon's dedication prayer that is found in 1 Kings in chapter 8, beginning in verse 41 through verse 43, these words are said. Moreover, concerning a stranger that is not of your people Israel, but comes out of a far country for your namesake, for they shall hear of your great name and of your strong hand and of your stretched out arm, when he shall come and pray toward this house. Hear thou in heaven your dwelling place, and do according to all that the stranger calls to you for, that all people on the earth may know your name, to fear you, as do your people Israel, and that they may know that this house which I have builded is called by your name. 1 Kings chapter 8, verses 46 through 49 says, If they sin against you, for there is no man that sins not, and you be angry with them and deliver them to the enemy, so that they carry them away captives under the land of the enemy, far or near, yet if they shall bethink themselves in the land where they were carried captives, and repent, and make supplication unto you in the land of them that carried them captives, saying, We have sinned and have done perversely. We have committed wickedness. And so return unto you with all their heart, with all their soul, in the land of their enemies, which led them away captive, and pray unto you toward their land. Pray toward their land, which you gave unto their fathers, the city which you have chosen, that is Jerusalem, and the house which I have built for your name, that is the temple. Then hear your prayer and the supplication in heaven for your dwelling place and maintain their cause. So the prayer is that when those in the nations pray toward the land of Israel, pray toward the city of Jerusalem, and pray toward the temple, that the God of Israel would hear their prayer, which they're praying. Next is the Shema, which is Hero Israel. 
The Shema is Shema Israel, Yahweh Eloheinu, Yahweh Echad. What goes along with this traditionally is the words Baruch Shem Kivod Malchuto Le'alam Ba'ed, which is Hear, O Israel, Yahweh is a God, Yahweh is one. Blessed be he whose glorious kingdom is forever and ever. And if you would look at the Shema in a Hebrew Torah scroll, you will find that the Ayin in Shema is enlarged, and the Dalit in Ahad is enlarged. And if you put together the two enlarged letters, it spells the Hebrew word aid, which means a witness. And what's being communicated to us is if we do the Shema, Shema means hear, do, and obey, that if we hear, do, and obey the Shema, we become a witness of the God of Israel in the earth. And then in the proclamation of the redemption of his people from Egypt. And why is this remembered on Sabbath? Because the Sabbath and the celebrating of the Sabbath in Deuteronomy chapter 5 verse 15 is related and connected to the historical Egyptian redemption. And in looking at the historical Egyptian redemption, we are told explicitly in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verses 1 through 4 that it was Yeshua who redeemed his people from Egypt. And then we're told in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11, that the things that happened to the children of Israel historically is encouragement for those who are living in the last generation. Why? Because the last generation will experience the end of the exile of Jacob. And the way we understand how that will come about is it's a parallel of the historical Egyptian redemption. So, Yeshua redeemed his people from Egypt. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning in verse 1, it is written, Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant, how that all of our fathers were under the cloud, and they all passed to the sea. And they were all baptized in the Moses, in the cloud, and in the sea. And did all eat the same spiritual meat, and did all drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Messiah. Verse 11, now all these things happened unto them for examples, but they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. So in Exodus chapter 15, verse 6, it says how the Egyptians were defeated at the Red Sea. It says, your right hand, O Lord, has become glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, has dashed in pieces the enemy. Who is the right hand that dashed in pieces the enemy? It is Yeshua the Messiah. And then the liturgy of the Sabbath that goes along with this says, Then his children beheld his might, they praised and gave thanks unto his name, and willingly accepted his sovereignty. Moses and the children of Israel sang a song unto you with great joy, saying, All of them, Who is like thee, O Lord, among the mighty? Who is like unto you, glorious in holiness, revered in praises, doing wonders? This is from Exodus chapter 15, verse 11, and this is called Mika Mocha, who is like thee? The liturgy says, Your children beheld your sovereign power as you did cleave the sea before Moses. They exclaimed, This is my God, and said, Yahweh shall reign forever and ever. Exodus chapter 15 and verse 18. So in remembering what Yeshua did for the children of Israel in redeeming them from Egypt, it is often done on Shabbat that you sing the song, Mika Mocha, who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? The next part of a Sabbath service is the Amidah, which is the standing prayer. Yeshua made reference to this in Mark chapter 11, verse 25, when he said, and when you stand praying. There are actually 18 prayers to the Amidah, which is called the Shimoni Esrei. It begins 
with these words. O Lord, open my lips that my mouth may declare your praise from Psalm chapter 51 and verse 17. Then we as believers in Yeshua in looking at the Amidah prayer, we need to pay special attention and special focus to the tenth prayer, which is about the ingathering of the exiles, based upon Ezekiel 37, verses 15 through 28, which the Messianic rendering is, Sound the great shofar of our freedom, raise the banner to gather our exiles, and gather us together from the four corners of the earth. Blessed are you, Yahweh, who gathers all the dispersed of his people. So this is a prayer to regather Jacob from all the nations where he'd been scattered and bring him back to the land of Israel. That event in the scriptures is associated with the Messianic era and the task of the Messiah. The 13th benediction is a prayer for the rebuilding of Jerusalem. What is the rebuilding of Jerusalem? In Psalm 147, verse 2, it says, Yahweh builds up Jerusalem. He gathers together the outcasts of Israel. So building up Jerusalem is gathering together the outcasts of Israel. This is Jacob from all the nations where he's been scattered. And also Zion specifically is called an outcast. Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 17. So there's a prayer for the regathering of the exiles. That's associated with the coming of the Messiah. The coming of the Messiah is associated with the Messianic era. After the Messianic era is the New Jerusalem. So the Messianic prayer is, With the New Jerusalem, your holy city, may you return in compassion, and may you establish it soon in our days as an eternal structure, and may you speedily establish the throne of Yeshua, son of David, within it. Blessed are you, Lord, the builder of Jerusalem. Next is the Torah service. And a Torah scroll is in a ark. And so you open up the ark to take the Torah out. And as you open up the ark, you would traditionally recite Numbers chapter 10, verse 35, and Isaiah chapter 2, verse 3. Numbers chapter 10, verse 35 says, It came to pass when the ark set forward that Moses said, Rise up, Lord, and let your enemies be scattered. Let them that hate you flee before you. When does the enemy of the people of the God of Israel flee? When they are obeying his commandments. We find this in Leviticus in chapter 26, verse 2. It says, if you obey all my commandments, it goes on to say that your enemies will flee from before you. And then the proclamation of the Torah going forth during the Messianic era from Jerusalem, Isaiah chapter 2, verse 3. Out of Zion shall go forth the Torah and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Then there is a procession as you bring out the Torah. A messianic proclamation of the Torah procession as it's taken out of the ark and being brought to the bema where it will be read by various members of the congregation go as follows. Behold the word of Yahweh, which is the Torah. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with Yahweh, and the Word was Yahweh, John 1.1. 1, 1. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. Glory is the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Speaking about Yeshua, John chapter 1, verse 14. The Word of Yahweh is perfect, Psalm 19, verse 7, and settled in heaven forever, Psalm 119, verse 89. The Word of Yahweh is a lamp unto our feet. It guides us how we are to walk and live our lives, Psalm 119, verse 105. The Word of Yahweh is sweeter than the honeycomb, Psalm 119, verse 10. The word of Yahweh is alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing and dividing between the soul and spirit 
of the joints and marrow and is able to decide between the thought and the intent of the heart, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Truly I say unto you, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass away from the Torah until all is accomplished. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Matthew in chapter 5, verse 19. Behold, I come in the volume of the scroll, it is written of me. Psalm chapter 40, verse 7. Yeshua said in Luke chapter 24, verse 44, These are the words which I spoke unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be accomplished which were written in the Torah of Moses, and in the prophets, and in the Psalms concerning me. Had you believed Moses, Yeshua said, you would have believed in me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe what Moses has written, how will you believe or understand my words? John chapter 5, verses 46 and 47. I give you good instruction, forsake not my Torah. So why do we proclaim Yeshua when we bring out the Torah as we would and as we have iterated in this Torah procession? Because Yeshua is the living Torah. He said in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. What is the way? Following the God of Israel, which means obeying his word, obeying his Torah. What is the life? That is also obeying the God of Israel, obeying his commandments. I am the way, the truth, and the life. What is the truth? Psalm 119, verse 142, is following the Torah, the commandments of the God of Israel. The Torah is called life. So Yeshua is the way, the truth, and the life. He's the living Torah. And then you will have your weekly Torah readings for Shabbat. In doing this, you'll have a blessing before reading the Torah. You'll be reading the weekly Torah portion, a blessing after reading from the Torah, and then you'll return the Torah back to the ark. Then you continue on with your reading from the prophets, known as the Haftarah. So you have a blessing before reading from the Haftarah, that is the prophets, reading the weekly portion from the prophets, the Haftarah, then the blessing after reading from the Haftarah. For those Messianic congregations who are following the triennial Torah cycle reading, which many believe is what was done in the first century, meaning that you read through the entire Torah over the course of three years, you're going to have a reading from the Psalms. So you have a blessing before reading from the Psalms, reading the weekly Psalm, and then the blessing after reading from the Psalms. And then finally, you're going to be reading from the Renewed Covenant. You have a blessing before reading from the Renewed Covenant, reading the weekly Renewed Covenant, and blessing after reading from the Renewed Covenant. That's going to conclude your Scripture readings, and then your Sabbath service, is going to continue with the Elenu prayer, which is the declaring the sovereignty of Yahweh over all his creation. The traditional Elenu prayer is as follows. It is necessary for us to praise the Master of all, to exalt the Creator of the world, for he has made us distinct from the nations and unique among the families of the earth. Our destiny is not like theirs. Our calling is our task. We are the servants of the God of Israel. Our calling is our task. We bow down. Why? We bow down to the King of Kings, the God of Israel, and acknowledge before the King of Kings that there is none like him, for he stretched forth the heavens like a tent and established the earth. Isaiah 51, verse 13, speaking of the fact that the God of Israel created the heavens and the earth, which we're told it was done by the word of Yahweh, Psalm 33, verse 6. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, we're told that Yeshua is the one that created the heavens and the earth. For there is none like our Yahweh and King. As the Torah says, You shall know this day and reflect in your heart that it is Yahweh who is Elohim and the heavens above 
and on the earth beneath. There is none else. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 29. All the world's inhabitants will recognize and know that to you every knee should bend, every tongue should swear. Isaiah chapter 45, verse 23. Before you, Yahweh or Elohim, they will bend every knee and cast themselves down into the glory of your name. They will render homage and they will all accept upon themselves the yoke of your kingship that you may reign over them soon and eternally. And when will this happen? During the Messianic era. For then shall the words be fulfilled, Yahweh shall be king forever. Exodus chapter 15 verse 18, and Yahweh shall be king over all the earth. On that day there shall be one Yahweh and his name one. Zechariah chapter 14 verse 9 and Zechariah 14 verse 9 is after Yeshua sets his feet down the Mount of Olives. Zechariah chapter 14 and verse 4. This Elenu prayer is the basis of which Rav Shaul, the Apostle Paul, writes in Philippians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, and he associates the Elenu prayer in Isaiah chapter 45, verse 23, that unto the God of Israel every knee will bow. He associates that as being a reference to Yeshua the Messiah. Philippians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, that at the name of Yeshua every knee should bow of things in heaven, things in earth, things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Yeshua HaMashiach is Yahweh to the glory of God the Father. And then the Sabbath service ends with an Aaronic benediction, which comes from Numbers chapter 6, verses 24 through 26. The blessing that is upon the people of the God of Israel is when Yahweh causes his face to shine upon you. You see, the exile is associated with Yahweh hiding his face. So when he causes his face to shine upon you, you are face to face with him. You have intimate relationship, and that is a blessing. And when he's gracious unto you, when his mercy is upon you, and when he lifts up his countenance upon you, and when Yahweh gives you shalom, he gives you mercy, and his face is shining upon you, that is when the people of the God of Israel are blessed. And that's the blessing that is placed upon the children of Israel through the Aaronic benediction. That is an outline of a Messianic Sabbath service. We want to end this teaching on the Sabbath by looking in the scriptures of the events of Yeshua healing on the Sabbath day, and we want to see the prophetic significance and meaning of why Yeshua healed on the Sabbath day. In John chapter 9, verse 1, verse 7, and verse 14, it is written, And as Yeshua passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And he said unto him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. Siloam means sent. He went his way, therefore, and washed. And then he came seeing. And it was the Sabbath day when Yeshua made the clay and opened his eyes. So Yeshua here in John chapter 9 is healing a blind man on the Sabbath. What's the spiritual meaning of this? Because even though that was a literal event that happened in the ministry of Yeshua, that literal event is a prophecy of something to come. The blind man is Jacob. We can see this in Isaiah chapter 42, verses 18 through 20 and verse 24. It says, Hear ye deaf, and look ye blind, that you may see. Who is blind but my servant? Or deaf as my messenger that I sent? Who is blind as he that is perfect and as blind as the Lord's servant? Because the Lord's servant sees many things but observes not. He opens the ears to follow the ways of the God of Israel, but he doesn't hear fully. 
Who gave Jacob for a spoil and Israel to the robbers? Did not the Lord, he gets whom we have sinned? For they would not walk in his ways, neither were they obedient to his Torah. We're told that Jacob is blind, and the reason why he's blind is because he's seeing things and he's observing things, but while he's seeing, he's observing not. He doesn't see fully. He doesn't see clearly. And while he opens his ears to obey, he's not hearing fully. He's not obeying fully. So Jacob is blind because he's not being fully obedient unto the Torah of the God of Israel. So there was a blind man that was healed and he went to the pool of Siloam, which means sent. John chapter 9 verse 7. He said to him, go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. Siloam is a fountain of water that is located in Jerusalem. It's referred to in Isaiah chapter 8 verse 6. Siloam is the Strong's number 4611 in the Greek dictionary. So the blind man was supposed to go to a pool called Sent to be healed. Yeshua is the Sent One. John chapter 6, verse 29, and verses 38 through 40, it is written, Yeshua answered and said to him, This is the work of God that you believe on him whom he has sent. For I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which has sent me, that of all which he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone that sees the Son and believes on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. So Yeshua took the blind man, which is a picture of Jacob, wanting him to go to a place that was sent. That means Jacob has to believe that Yeshua is the Messiah. And when he went to the, the pool of Siloam, sent, picture of Yeshua, he went his way, therefore, and he was washed. And then he saw this washing in the pool is a picture of being washed by Yeshua, who is the living waters. And this pool would have been a flowing pool of water, which is a picture of Yeshua. John chapter 4, verse 11 and verses 13 and 14. This is the woman at the well said unto Yeshua, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From where then hast thou that living water? Yeshua answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinks of this water, that is the water in that well, will thirst again. But whosoever drinks of the water that I shall give him, shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. So Yeshua is the fountain of living waters as we can see in Jeremiah chapter 17 verses 12 through 14. A glorious high throne from the beginning is the place of our sanctuary. O Lord, the hope of Israel. And the word hope here in Hebrew is mikvah, which is the immersion bath. It says, O Lord, the immersion, the washing of Israel. All that forsake you shall be ashamed, and they that depart from me shall be written in the earth, because they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living waters. So Yeshua made a reference that all that forsake him shall be written in the earth to the woman caught in adultery in John chapter 8. So here, Yeshua is referred to as the fountain of living waters. And then it says, from this fountain of living waters, Heal me, O Lord, and I will be healed. Save me, and I will be saved. So saving is believing he's the Messiah. Healing is the restoration of Jacob from exile. Yeshua is the one that saves. 
Yeshua is the one that restores Jacob from exile. So Yeshua is sent to heal the blind and cause the lame to walk. This is the great messianic work. Matthew chapter 11, verses 2 through 5, it is written, Now when John had heard in the prison the works of Messiah, he sent two of his disciples, and he said unto him, Are you he that should come? That is, are you the Messiah? Or do we look for another to be the Messiah? Yeshua answered and said unto them, Go and show John again those things which you do hear and see. So someone asked Yeshua, are you the Messiah? This is the evidence that he gives that he's the Messiah. Matthew chapter 11, verse 5. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. These are all characteristics of the condition of Jacob in exile. He's blind because he didn't follow Torah. He's lame because he's not walking according to Torah. And he is a leper. In other words, he's unclean. He's not following the commandments. And he has a spiritual status of being dead. We have this picture of the dry bones of Ezekiel 37. And they're going to be raised up. They're going to be restored to the nations. And they are poor. And they need the gospel preached to them. That is the salvation in Yeshua and the restoration of him from his condition. Now, Yeshua is sent, as we can see here, to cause the lame to walk. We have an account in John chapter 5, verses 2 and 3 and verse 5. Now, there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pole, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. Look. They're waiting for the moving of the water, because the moving of the water is how they've got to get healed. Living water, that is Yeshua. And a certain man was there which had an affirmity 38 years. Continuing on, John chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, Yeshua said to him, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made whole, and he took up his bed and walked. And this happened on the Sabbath. John chapter 5, verse 9, and John chapter 9, verse 14. In review here, we see that Yeshua healed a blind man, and he healed a lame person on the Sabbath. The blind and the lame is a picture of Jacob in exile, and it's the great messianic work for the Messiah to perform this task. Not only physically, but spiritually. And so, reviewing it, John chapter 5, verse 9, immediately the man was made whole and he took up his bed and walked. That same day was the Sabbath. John chapter 9, verse 14, it was the Sabbath day when Yeshua made the clay and opened up his eyes. Why was this done on the Sabbath? Why the healing of the blind man and causing the cripple to walk? Why was that done on the Sabbath? Because the Sabbath is a picture of the Messianic era. And it's during the Messianic era that Jacob is going to be regathered, and it's the darkness part of the Messianic era, which is called the Tribulation Period. That is because the seventh-day Sabbath is called the Day of the Lord, Isaiah chapter 58 and verse 13. If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy of the Lord honorable. So the Sabbath is called the Day of the Lord. And each day in creation represents 1,000 years of time. This comes from Psalm chapter 90, verse 4, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when is past, and as a watch in the night. 
But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. So the Sabbath is called the day of the Lord, and each day of creation represents a thousand years. That means the seventh day of creation, which is the day that Yahweh rested, is a picture of the rest of the Messianic era. We can see how the Messianic era is called the day of the Lord in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8 and verse 10. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. The day of the Lord comes in night. That, we call that the tribulation. And what happens when the day of the Lord is coming in the night? This is what happens. Which the heavens shall pass away with great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. That is, those things that are being done that it's not for the purposes of Yahweh will be burned up. It will have no eternal value. So the seventh day Sabbath is associated with the Messianic era called the day of the Lord, and the day of the Lord begins with the tribulation period. We can see how the day of the Lord is a time of trouble. Isaiah chapter 13, verse 6. How ye, for the day of the Lord is at hand, it shall come as destruction from the Almighty. Isaiah chapter 13, verse 8. And they shall be ashamed. Pangs and sorrows shall take hold of them. They shall be in pain as a woman that travails. So the day of the Lord comes as destruction. It's like birth pains. It's the tribulation. Zephaniah chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. The great day of the Lord is near. It is near and hastens greatly. Even the voice of the day of the Lord, the mighty man shall cry there bitterly. That that day, the day of the Lord, is a day of wrath, a day of trouble, of distress, of wasteness, of desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness. This is describing the tribulation part of the day of the Lord or the Messianic era. And now, the day of the Lord is also called Jacob's trouble. Jeremiah chapter 30, verses 6 and 7. Ask ye now and see whether a man does travail with child. Why do I see every man with his hands on his loins as a woman in travail, and all faces are turned into paleness? Alas, for that day is great. What day? The day of the Lord. So that none is like it. It is the time of Jacob's trouble, but he will be saved out of it. And what happens during Jacob's trouble? We have the end of the exile of Jacob from all the nations where he's been scattered during Jacob's trouble. How do we see this connection? Because in Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 3, it says, For lo, the days come, says the Lord, that I will bring again the captivity of my people, Israel and Judah, says the Lord, and I will cause them to return to the land that I gave to their fathers, and they shall possess it. Alas, for that day is great. What day? The day that he's got to bring again the captivity of Israel and, and Judah. That day is great. There's not none like it. It's the tribulation. It's called Jacob's trouble, but he will save to be redeemed or delivered out of it. How is he saved or redeemed from it? He's got to be gathered from all the nations where he has been scattered. So Zion is redeemed during Jacob's trouble. Now we're going to connect about the healing of the blind and the healing of the lame and how that's connected with redeeming Jacob from exile. Isaiah chapter 35, verses 4 through 6 and verse 10. Say to them that are fearful of heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, even God with recompense. He will come and save you. He's coming with vengeance. That's the tribulation. He's coming to save you. That's Jacob from all the nations where he's been scattered. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. So the healing of the blind happens when he redeems his people during the time of trouble. Then shall the lame man leap as a heart, and the tongue of the dumb sing. For the wilderness shall waters break out in streams in the desert. You see the healing waters? 
And then it says, And the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with songs and everlasting joy upon their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. So when we redeem his people from exile, it's during tribulation, and it's associated with the eyes of the blind being opened and the healing of the lame. So this is going to happen in what's called the last day. That is the seventh day, the Messianic era. John chapter 6, verse 40, verse 44, and verse 54, it says, And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone that sees the Son and believes on him may have everlasting life. And I will raise him up at the last day. See, you're being raised up in the last day. No man could come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. So the resurrection is in the last day. In John chapter 11, which is the account of the resurrection of Lazarus, it says, John 11, verse 14, verse 21, and verses 23 and 24. Then said Yeshua unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Lazarus here is a picture of Jacob being exiled in the nations of the world. Then said Martha unto Yeshua, Lord, if you had been here, my brother had not died. Yeshua said unto her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection in the last day. At the Messianic era, he will rise again. That's when Jacob gets redeemed on the last day, the Messianic era. So we can see how the last day is the Messianic era called the Day of Messiah in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 2. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, and Hosea chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, it is written, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Yeshua HaMashiach, and by our gathering together unto him. What's the gathering together? It's Jacob being gathered from all the nations where he'd been scattered, that you be not so soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter, as from us, that the day of Messiah is at hand. The day of Messiah is when he gathers together the exiles. Come, Hosea chapter 6, verse 1, and let us return to the Lord. That is, repent. He has torn, that is, exiled us into the nations. He will heal us, that is, bring us back from the nations. He has smitten, sent us into exile. He will bind us up, bring us back. After two days, he will revive us. After 2,000 years, that's from his first coming. And then the third day, that is the Messianic era, he will raise us up and we will live in his sight. That is, we're going to be with his presence. He's got to rule and reign from Jerusalem. Now, going back with the healing that was done to the blind man in John chapter 9, it goes on to say in John chapter 9, verses 14 through 16, it was the Sabbath day when Yeshua made the clay and opened his eyes. Then again, the Pharisees also asked him, How did you receive your sight? He said unto them, He put clay upon my eyes, and I washed, and that's how I see. Therefore said some of the Pharisees, This man, that is Yeshua, is not of God, because he doesn't keep the Sabbath day. Others said, How can a man that is a sinner do such miracles? And there was a division among them. See, if Yeshua regathers the exiles during the Messianic era, he's keeping the Sabbath day. John chapter 9, verses 26 to 29 says, Then said they to him again, What did he to you? How did he open up your eyes? And he answered them, I've told you already. Didn't you hear? Wherefore would you hear it again? Will you be his disciples? Will you believe him when he heals the blind? That's the messianic work. They then reviled him and said, You are his disciples. We follow Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, Yeshua, we don't know from where he is. John chapter 9, verse 35 through 
38. Yeshua heard that they had cast him out, and when he had found him, he said unto him, Do you believe on the Son of God, the blind man? He's now speaking to Jacob, really, prophetically. Jacob, when you get regathered, do you believe that I'm the Messiah? He said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? Yeshua said, You have both seen him, and it is he that talks with you. And he said, Lord, I believe. So the blind man, that is Jacob, when he gets restored, he's got to believe that Yeshua is the Messiah. Are the Pharisees blind? Yeshua said in John chapter 9, verses 39 and verse 40, Yeshua said, For judgment I am come into this world, that they which see not might see, and they which see might be made blind. And some of the Pharisees which were with him heard these words and said, Are we the blind that you are referring to? Yeshua answers, and I want you to notice that what goes on in John chapter 10 is an answer about Yeshua healing a blind man on the Sabbath in a dialogue with the Pharisees. That's the context of John chapter 10. So in John chapter 9 verse 41, Yeshua said, You're blind until you believe on my work. Yeshua said unto them, If you were blind, you should have no sin. But you say that you see. And because you say that you see and you don't believe on me, your sin remains. He goes on to explain to them in John 10, verse 1, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that enters not by the door of the sheepfold, but climbs up some other way, that is Pharisaic rabbinic Judaism, the same is a thief and a robber. He that comes to the God of Israel by another way, he's talking to the Pharisees, he says if you come through rabbinic Judaism your way, that's a thief and a robber. You have to come through me, Yeshua. John chapter 10, verse 2, verses 5 and 6. And he that enters in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. And a stranger will they not follow. Who is he saying is the stranger? Those that come the other way. And he's addressing the question, are we blind? So the stranger that they will not follow is Pharisaic rabbinic Judaism. But will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. This parable spake Yeshua unto the Pharisees. But they understood not what things they were which he spake unto them. That is, the Pharisees. So Yeshua said that he is going to gather the exiles of Israel. John chapter 10, verse 7, verse 9, and verse 16. Then said Yeshua unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. I am the door by me. If any man enter in, he shall be saved, and shall go in and out and find pasture. Other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, that is, of Judah of the Pharisees, them also I must bring, that is the northern kingdom, that is the house of Israel, that's Ephraim, that's Joseph, they will hear my voice, they will believe me, and they will be, this is the fulfillment of the prophecy, one fold and one shepherd, a united house of Jacob. The blind man is the lost sheep of Israel. Notice this is a dialogue regarding the blind man that got healed on the Sabbath day, and the Pharisees are questioning this event. So Yeshua responds to, are we blind? He tells them he's the one that gathers the exiles of Israel. So he's connecting the healing of the blind man to his work to regather the exiles of Israel. So John chapter 10, verse 17, Therefore does my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it again. There was a division, therefore, among the Jews for these sayings. And many of them said, He has a devil and is mad, why hear him? This is the connection to the healing of the blind man on the Sabbath. Others said, These are not the words of him that has a devil. Can a devil open the eyes of the blind? He's referring to the healing of the blind man on the Sabbath. So why did Yeshua heal him on the Sabbath? Because the Sabbath is a picture of the Messianic era. He's making a declaration that he is going to heal the blindness of Jacob and regather him from all the nations where he's been scattered during 
the messianic era or the tribulation the darkness part of the day of the lord so while this is a literal healing that took place in the ministry of yeshua he in doing it was making a prophetic declaration and explaining the meaning of it to the pharisees who inquired regarding why he healed the man on the sabbath yeshua is our sabbath rest Isaiah chapter 11, verse 10, And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, which shall stand for an ensign of the people. To it shall the Gentiles seek, and his rest, the rest of Yeshua, shall be glorious. Yeshua said, Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 and 29, Come unto me, all that labor and are heavy laden, that is, six days you shall work, and I will give you rest, that is, Sabbath. Take my yoke upon you, that is, the way we keep his commandments and follow Torah, and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Yeshua is the Lord of the Sabbath. Mark chapter 2, verses 27 and 28. He said unto them, The Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. Yeshua is our Sabbath rest. This is going to conclude this teaching on the Sabbath. And this teaching, we saw how that Yeshua celebrated the Sabbath, that the believers in the first century, as recorded in the book of Acts, that they kept the Sabbath, and how it was the fourth beast, the Roman Empire, from which there was a change in celebrating the Sabbath and the annual festivals. The fourth beast would change times and seasons, and it was through the influence of the, the Roman Empire and thus the Roman Catholic Church that the Sabbath was changed from Saturday to Sunday, and also we got brought in the holidays of Christmas and Easter rather than the annual biblical festivals. We looked at a Messianic Sabbath service, and then we looked at Yeshua in his Messianic work to cause the blind to see and the lame to walk, and we looked at two healings that he did on the Sabbath, one of a blind man and one of a lame person, and we saw that this is a prophetic foreshadowing of Yeshua restoring and regathering Jacob from all the nations where he'd been scattered, and this will happen during the Messianic era. So when we examine the Sabbath, when we celebrate the Sabbath, we need to realize we do it by accepting Yeshua as our Messiah. He is our Sabbath rest and resting in the work that he does in and through us. Remember these words from 1 John chapter 2, verse 6. He who says he abides in him, he who says that he's a believer in Yeshua as the Messiah, ought to walk, that is, live our lives, even as he walked. And how did he walk? He kept the Sabbath. And if he kept the Sabbath, we as believers in him should do the same. Shalom in Yeshua the Messiah. Amen. 